Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hever. Today's guest is a force to be reckoned with. Lisa Oz is an author, writer, producer, host, and entrepreneur whose views on holistic living give her a modern taste with a spiritual feel. In addition to authoring the New York Times bestseller, Us, Transforming Ourselves and the Relationships That Matter Most, Lisa has co-authored five New York Times bestselling books, including You, the Owner's Manual series with her husband, Dr. Mehmet Oz. Along with her husband, Lisa helped found Health Corps, a peer mentoring nonprofit that delivers a progressive curriculum in nutrition, fitness, and mental resilience to over 32,000 teens in at-risk communities across the country. At the heart of her positive energy is her family, which you're going to hear a lot about today. Lisa has been married to her husband, Mehmet, for 35 plus years, and they have four children, two fur children, and four grandchildren. I'm so excited to share this episode with you. Listen to how this fierce female chooses herself. Lisa Oz, thank you so much for joining me and being here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I'm so excited to finally talk to you. We have a lot in common. We both had a show on Varia Living with the same amazing producer who happens to be here today, producer Sanford. And I didn't get to meet you while I was there, but um, I've always wanted to. And I also have learned a couple things about you that I'm excited that we have in common, that we both went plant-based for the book Diet for a Small Planet. Yep. That and Diet for New America did it for me too many, many years ago. And that you love cooking and that cooking for you is like stress release and you enjoy being in the kitchen and all of that. So I was, I'm excited because that's something I'm really passionate about as well. Today, I want to talk about you because, you know, you are this amazing woman who does it all. You talk about your family. You have this amazing, this amazing book on relationships and this amazing story about relationships. And you're talking constantly about taking care of them and everyone around you. But how do you, Lisa, take care of you and choose you? Wow. Um, that's an interesting question. That's a continuous struggle, I think, for many of us, right, is to find that balance between um, being engaged in the world and serving others and also, and then coming back and nourishing yourself and taking care of yourself so that you can better put yourself out into the world. Um, I think part of it, for me at least, is I'm not one of those people who's like, oh, I'll go take a bath and float some orchids on my, the water and relax. <laughs> and that, like, spas are not my favorite place. And so that is not the way I recharge. I, the, one, the, th the way that I feel best serves me um, is to make sure that I'm continually growing because um, stagnation feels like death for me. So uh, I always want to be learning something new or in, um, engaged in a new way with people, um, going deeper in my relationships, um, going to different places, which was kind of hard <laughs> given the last year, but uh, right. exploring, experimenting and growing because I, I want to be a better person tomorrow than I am today. I love that. So what does that mean for you? Like what where do you like to learn from? What what do you what excites you? Where do you find those different passions and outlets? Well, at the moment, I am enrolled in a PhD course <gasps> in Indian psychology, which um, wow, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a little overwhelming. Um, 
and uh, exhausting and and I I and karmically perfect for me because I hated school <laughs> and, and and was a very bad procrastinating student. So it's one of those lessons that you think that okay, I I slid by. I may not have learned what I needed to learn, but I don't have to go back there, which is a big lie, right? Because we always if, until we figured something out, we keep getting that lesson over and over and over in life. So here I am with multiple papers due continuously and fighting the urge and sometimes failing um, to resist the urge to procrastinate. So it's, it's been, it's been really challenging and wonderful and terrible all at the same time. I'm blown away. I mean, that's amazing to go back at this point. Like you, you know, like you talk, I've talked about it because even grad school for me, like it was the first time I was studying what I loved. And that's when I just kind of loved learning for the first time because I didn't like college and school, but I loved when I was found my passion. So that's extraordinary to go. And I always talk about wanting to go back for my PhD. Like what actually inspired you to, to do it? That's huge. So, okay. This is a crazy story, but I um, am a friend and um, I would say follower, a student, a student of Jordan Peterson. Oh. Um, and, <laughs> yes. and he's, so brilliant. And I, Mehmet and I spent like 15 hours on a flight to Asia once listening to his entire Bible series. I, and, and I was so, I, I've learned now that he is just a big animus projection for me, but um, I was so eager to learn from him. And when he w- became ill, gravely ill and was no longer you know accessible in the same way i figured you know what i've got to go learn the stuff for myself he can't be my guru i have to be my own guru so i that was the what the impetus for going back to school that's amazing i love his series on psychology too like he did that whole series on on all the different elements and the the psychologists so what do you want to do with this degree um I well, I think as a producer and writer, the idea of understanding archetypes uh, initially was very important to me, and I think right now it's I I see it as a way a path of spiritual growth for me, and and that will impact my relationships and my work. I think all the way around. So it's for me, it's about understanding more of who I am, both the good and bad parts and integrating that and hopefully transcending the bad parts in a way that can be more useful in the world. That's amazing. So that actually is the perfect segue to a quote, if you don't mind me quoting yourself. (laughs) (laughs) But you said, I heard you say in an interview that who we are, who we can become is all manifest through our relationships. You say, for me, and relationships are a state. We live in relationship. They're not something we own or possess. They are a part of us, the very fabric of who we are. And so talk about that and relationship and how, do, I mean, that's, so you're constantly evolving. You're constantly learning about relating and obviously inspiring so many people in that journey. Yeah, of course. I think that, and this is again, just my opinion that, that when we stay in our heads, we, we aren't, it's, it's potential, right? It's not actually manifested. And so it's, we haven't assimilated that who we are. And so we can think um, we can think we're really generous and kind and thoughtful and good people, but until we act on that, until we're in a situation where we actually behave in a way that is generous and kind, or even intend to behave in a way that is compassionate, 
um, and and then put that into action, then it becomes who we are. And I think all of our actions and all of our uh, interactions are with other people or, you know, at, as our friend Kathy Freston would say, with pets too or animals, but with another being. Um, and some people would say with the planet as a, they personify the planet. And so we have a relationship with the planet. And I think we have relationships on every level. We have the relationship to ourselves that we act on, right? So we treat ourselves with compassion or we treat ourselves um, using shame and guilt. We have a relationship to the people in our lives that we love closely, like our spouses, our children, our dear friends, our parents. And then we have a relationship to the world in general, our communities, the planet. But we also have a relationship to, to the divine and that source of, of, of everything that we are connected to, um, either intimately or in a way that's less uh, aware. Um, it, th I think that's a relationship like every other relationship. Are we engaged in it or are we avoiding it? Or do we not even care about it? Or it, is it something that we don't want to um, pursue? So I think we live on multiple layers, in multiple layers of relationships in every aspect of our being. And that that ultimately makes up who we are. And so what do you advise people like in your book and when you when you're talking to people when they're asking for this information like how do you advise people to deepen and strengthen their relationships? Well, I, I think first to approach all of them more consciously. Uh we live in a time where we're we I don't think we have any idea who we are. We have no time alone. We are we're never just with our own thoughts. We're continuously distracted. Um from the outside and the inside, you know, it's not just the the evil advertisers coming at us or social media, which is pernicious and and does seek to to take our attention away from um, things that are more important. But in, internally, we have huge resistance, um, and so I think taking the time to get to understand who we are and both the good and the bad and our motivations and our um, fears and our loves. Once we get to have an understanding of who we are, we can bring that to our other relationships in a conscious way so that we are not, um, we're not dealing superficially because a lot of times you'll be in a conflict with someone and you'll, the fight will be about something and really it has nothing to do with that thing that you think it's about, right? But if you're not honest with yourself, you don't know yourself, you'll never understand that what you're fighting about is based in your own insecurity um, or, uh, you know, your anger over something that may have happened to you and has nothing to do with this moment. So I think the best way to approach any relationship is to be more conscious of yourself. I love it. I mean, you're a walking role model of relationship. Like, You've been married, what, 35, more than 35 years at this point. How many years have you been married? Yeah. It'll be 36 this summer. That's, oh, that's so rare and beautiful in these days. And it's so admirable. So do you have advice for people out there that want to end up with numbers like that and having that, that history with, with one person in a, in a relationship like that? Well, I, you know, first of all, I, I, I always resist being held up on a, pedestal in any way like that because it just feels 
Hooper stick. And I, I would, I would, I would just say is that anything worthwhile is takes work and that includes relationships and to think that the, and and perfection exists nowhere right so every relationship has its ups and downs every relationships every relationship is different behind closed doors than what is put outside um into the public eye um that being said i adore my husband and we love each other very much and it's not it's not all like you know rainbows and buttercups all and floating heart emojis all the time it's it is both of us being able to prioritize the union over our individual needs it's um a real deliberate effort to always be as honest as we are capable of being um it is a a commitment on both of our parts to engage in the relationship in a way that it continues to evolve, which means both of us have to continue to grow. So it's, it's like anything else that you value. If it's like, if, you know, if you're an athlete, you can't just expect your body to be in great shape if you don't put the work in. I think the same is true with a relate with any relationship with it, with your children, with your spouse, with your friends, it, it is work, but anything worthwhile is. Yes, absolutely. So besides focusing on taking care of yourself by learning and growing and changing and getting a PhD, what about like having fun or time off? What do you do to choose you in those moments? Or how do you choose yourself in those moments that are not linked to something so productive? <laughs> I, I find that the, one of the things that's most nourishing for me is nature. Um, just being outside in any capacity um, away from concrete, I, I find really, um, soul charging, uh, right now in the spring, all the flowers are just the color. I don't know. I, the, there's a whole field of color therapy that I, I don't know anything about, but I feel it intuitively so that I feel like when I see daffodils, my third chakra is being nourished. Um, and so I, I have a deep connection to nature that that w when I don't engage with nature in a conscious way, I feel that I'm withering. So that is probably the first way that I nourish myself and care for myself. Yes. I love that. And then also with your cooking, right? I mean, that's very nourishing literally and figuratively and taking nature and, you know, actually acclimating and putting it in, inside of your body and it becoming part of you. Like it's just kind of a, a really, I always like to think about food as our connection to the earth. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's such a, it's actually a, a wonderful thing making food um, because you are, and you're allowing yourself to be creative. Um, and I think all humans have that urge to do something creative. It's the way that we um, mirror God, right? You know, the, the create that the act of creation itself. So you are nourishing yourself through the the creative energy but at the same time you're nourishing the people you love so it's this just this amazing circular act of of goodness <laughs> i don't even know how, <laughs> how to describe it but across the board it's um it's nourishing it nourishes your soul and it nourishes those around you so i i do think it does it can be a little overwhelming we had um 
our whole family with us, which was like 12 people for a, an extended period of time um, while we were quarantining um, and, and feeding a lot of people over an extended period of time starts to feel like it's your job. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then some. <laughs> so at, at, at some point it's just like, oh, wouldn't it be nice just to do takeout? So it's not like I am a, <laughs> I'm a committed chef, uh, but I do love it and I do find joy in it. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that it is a lot of work. I always think too, that I, I love to show my love by cooking for people. Like I love to make food for people. Like it's, like my putting my love and heart and soul into a creation that I know is going to nourish them. So I love thinking about it, but of course it becomes like a chore. I always say too, I'm not a chef. I'm like trained as a dietitian, but um, people always kind of expect me to, you know, I'm writing my seventh book right now with tons of recipes and it's like, oh my gosh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and you're just kind of like playing it out. But, but there is, there's definitely some love and I, I see how it could turn into um, more of, I can't even imagine feeding 12 people for an extended period of time. So good, good job. Well, congratulations on your seventh book. Oh. That's really impressive. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So how do you, um, encourage your children and even your grandchildren to choose themselves? Well, that, I mean, well, interesting question. I was going to say, first of all, the best thing about cooking, if you can do it, is to include your family in it, because then not only are you being creative and feeding your family, you're also engaging in a wonderful communal activity um, and spending time together. So, but how do I encourage them to um, choose themselves? Well, one, one, I think, and probably one of the most important things that we so often forget is that we have to walk our talk. And you and I had mentioned when we were talking earlier about Kathy Freston, who is a woman who walks her talk. I think what your children and, and in my case, grandchildren see you modeling is the behaviors that they will choose. So if they see that, that you value certain things, they will understand those things to be valuable. If they see that you don't live with integrity, that you say one thing and then do something else, they will be less committed in their own lives. So I do think living with integrity and um, and modeling the behavior that you want your children to do. So in the case of choosing choosing themselves, I think if I choose myself is what is what it comes down to. If I if I choose, and you know what? It's funny because you say choose you. You are not just one entity, right? We all have like almost like little, little constellations of selves inside of ourselves. So we have a part of us that is, that wants what is higher and what is good and what is, um, what is, uh, the best part of ourselves. And then we have a negative side of ourselves, a shadow side that is always, um, sort of messing that up and, and uh, encouraging us to addictive behavior or, um, just, uh, all those parts of ourselves that we've repressed and don't like, those are all us. So when you say choose you, you first of all have to be aware that you have multiple different aspects of yourself, and then you have to choose the highest part of yourself. So choose the part of yourself that is the most consistent and congruent with your values. And so I think that is what for kids we have to model is choo choosing behaviors that are in alignment with our highest self. 
gorgeously stated. And the research supports that. Like the only thing you could do is role model. Like everyone comes to me, well, how do I make my child? How do I make my parent? How do I make my fill in the blank do such and such? And the only thing you could really do is be a lighthouse and actually live it. So I love the way you said that. That's absolutely beautiful. Thank you for sharing that wisdom. Um, I guess I I could talk to you all day. I think you're absolutely magnificent. Um, What would you advise other people out there who may not know how to choose themselves, how to go in that direction, how to find that light within them? Uh, Any tips that you would offer to the audience? Um, Yeah, you know, there is tremendous power in ritual. And I think we've sort of lost that. And so what if there is something that you desire or some part of yourself that you want to amplify, um, put it into an action. And it doesn't have to be a huge action. It doesn't have to be like, I'm going to be vegan tomorrow or um, you know, I'm, I'm never going to do this bad thing again. But m- when you set an intention bring it into the material universe through an act of ritual. And if you can enact that on a regular basis, say every day, whether it's um, just lighting a candle around an, an intention for that day, like I will tell the truth today um, and physicalizing it, there's tremendous power in that. And I think that it will help shift your energy and your behavior in the direction that you want to change. Lisa, thank you for your gorgeous wisdom. You are such an amazing light, and I'm so grateful that you were here with me today. Well, thank you. It was a real pleasure. I am so beyond excited and moved by that interview. I now want to sign up to get my PhD. Thank you, Lisa Oz, for all of your wisdom. If you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, please subscribe to the show rate and review us on iTunes and send us an email with questions and comments at chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. For nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I invite you to choose yourself now and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.